Shortly after Charlie began calling me her personal guitar hero, a fellow musician friend of mine named Dusky called to say she had something important to tell me, which was that she'd been sleeping with my ex-girlfriend since before we broke up, and now they were officially dating. Hashtag, nobody does drama like the lesbians. Although technically, Dusky had always been highly heterosexual. So when she told me she was sleeping with my ex, I actually burst out laughing. It was kind of like finding out your dog and your cat were making sweet, sweet love to get back at you for leaving for work every morning. I also laughed because that ex and I should have broken up way before she took up with Dusky. The only reason we didn't was because we were trying to figure out how to stay friends. And honestly, sometimes it can be good to let something go on a little too long so you really know it's not salvageable. Anyway, when Dusky saw that I didn't get mad, her mood changed, and then she said, in a kind of scrambly way, how she was mad at me for being too bossy in the band we were in together. At this point, it started to seem to me like she had slept with my girlfriend on purpose to hurt me while also at the same time somehow be more like me out of some misdirected envy, maybe. I'm kind of an expert at the queer art of failure, so it's hard for me to imagine that anyone might be jealous of me. But I'm also kind of a rock star, so things can get confusing. What did hurt me, though, was that rather than just telling me she was pissed off at me, Dusky sought revenge in a way that messed up all three of our friendships. When are women going to learn how to get along? I don't know, but when we do, the world will be ours. Still, I have to say that on a basic level of principle, I appreciated my friend's honesty. It's not always easy to tell someone when they're not acting right, and nobody acts right all the time. Dusky's not the only person to call me out for being aggressive, and I've come to think that whether it's addiction, anger, intimacy, or really any other issue, if two people tell you you have a problem, you probably have a problem. And you know, moving forward, I want to move forward. I want to be less of an idiot. So, though I sometimes thought about getting back at Dusky, I also noticed that when I did that, I would lose sight of all the good things I had going on. And I'm not trying to play Othello. I remembered one of my favorite cliches. Living well is the best revenge. So I wrote this song to help me through. I didn't have the bridge until Charlie gave me the bluebird, but you'll find out about that later. For now, let's just hit that track.
for that smoking rhythm section featuring Sean Dixon on the drums, Mary Feaster on the electric bass guitar, Peter Applebaum on the keys, and of course, the Hot Tips singing backup. Another reason I didn't care much about Dusky and my ex was because Charlie and I kept falling deeper and deeper in love. Fall came again, and with it, our anniversary. We went out to dinner to the first restaurant we ever ate at together, Fish on Bleecker, and ordered the dollar oyster special with fries. She got a PBR, and I, a Pinot Grigio. Then we strolled down the street admiring the paintings that a local artist, Peter Campione, displayed for sale. Then, Charlie said she thought we should do something to honor Kay, the woman who had introduced us and she gave me a book that Kay had edited called Baby Precious Always Shines, The Love Letters of Alice B. Toklas and Gertrude Stein. In the preface, Kay says that the cows Gertrude talks about having in the night 
are actually poops, bowel movements, and not orgasms, as they have been traditionally interpreted. A few months later, on New Year's Eve, Charlie and I were making love. The clock struck midnight, and we came together. She said, That's never happened to me before. This happens a lot to me. Women I'm making love with tell me that something beautiful happens that they never known or liked before. I'm pretty sure this is not because I have any special skill. I wish. But alas, no. It's just because I only ever go with people with whom the chemistry is off the charts. I'm convinced that it's a lot of quote-unquote straight women who don't want to give their husbands blowjobs because they're either not straight or they're just not really that into their husbands and maybe just married them because they were good men, nice people, good providers. I'm not judging that, but just saying that if you're really into someone, even their thumb is sexy. But us queers never settle. I wish I could just go with anyone and everyone, but no chemistry, no dice. And my experience is that chemistry doesn't happen every day. This can mean longish dry spells, which fuel a desire to make things work within a failing relationship just to avoid having to go back on the market and start looking again. The plus side is lovemaking that obliterates all the problems of the world. Charlie had a beautiful way of touching my legs with her hands. I've been called thunder thighs since I was 12 years old and have sometimes felt self-conscious of them, so this made me feel extra nice in a very deep way. She once wrote me a cento poem that uses a line from William Carlos Williams. It goes... Your thighs are apple trees. I just wrote a song about how wonderful that made me feel. Some kind of monster from 
But my mother told me how to handle it She said your body is perfect, your legs are swell And though at the time it was a living hell But then time to tell and every one of my lovers got stars in their eyes Every one of my lovers got stars in their eyes When it started to be out of me Charlie went to visit an elderly friend of hers who was around 90, and she wrote to me that her friend had become very angry at the grandson for not having paid her back a very small sum of money. For this, she hated him. Charlie wrote to me, Promise me that when we get old, we'll never be bitter. I wrote back that I definitely wasn't into being bitter, and also that I'm not planning on getting old. I have no children and no one to take care of me, so I'm planning on offing myself rock star style around 75 or 80. She said, Hey, who's to say you won't have anyone to take care of you? There's me, there's your beloved niece Gloria, there's your friend Valerie. I wrote back that that's very sweet, but when I'm 80, she'll be 86, Valerie will be 96, and my niece will hopefully have better things to do. Charlie said, Fine. Lord, your girlishness over Valerie and me. I miss her emails. After we had been lovers for a couple of years, Charlie came over one night and told me she was writing a novel for me. In case you're confused, this novel was after The Penis, The Pen is My Pal, 
and before this last one that got so big. It was called, I Feel Your Pain. When she told me about it, she was so excited that I got excited too. Would I be the lover who gets to finger the useless iPod cozy in her new book? I hoped so, because that sounded awesome. Would I be like a recurring dream of a baby that she longs to interpret? Would I get split into four different but equally amazing people over whom she would obsessively fantasize and recount the same scene? Hopefully not a scene with a jealous ex-wife assaulting me with a carbonated high-fructose corn syrup beverage. Preferably a sex scene, I hoped. Although I was also mortified to imagine anyone else reading about me having sex. I can be pretty challenging to write about. Still, I was really looking forward to her book for and possibly about me. Perhaps thinking foolishly that she would write about me like a rock star and that I would become one. Plus, of course, when you love someone, you want to support them and their passions. So I went along fully and enthusiastically with everything she asked of me. And we had a blast recording music and videos for the multimedia part of her novel. I didn't make any requests about how I should appear, and I excitedly awaited its completion. When I finally did read it, though, it was weird, because all the obsessing was about this 65-year-old stalker guy who looked like Humphrey Bogart, and whose sketchy behavior she, her protagonist, kind of indulged while ostensibly trying to convert him to feminism. Charlie and I only appeared in the novel as tiny side characters, lovers who only spoke to each other via comments on YouTube videos, mine with Walt Whitman quotes, and hers with Emily Dickinson. At the time, I found that to be a little bit underwhelming. But now it seems like an astonishingly romantic way for us to be preserved. I wrote her a song called Emily, and it goes like this. There's no place for me, Emily. 
Charlie liked to call me the Walt Whitman of the electric guitar, which made me very happy. And I think now maybe I should have also been happy that in her work, she preserved us both together as great poets. But I'm kind of a literalist when it comes to the creation of art, and I was really at a low point in my career, and I needed an artistic boost. I wasn't a rock star yet at all. In fact, I was still begging for the kind of gigs where you get to lose money playing for no one or next to no one. I have played so many, many exciting rock and roll shows for bartenders. Still, I put on the best show I possibly can, and I wrote this next song to help me do this. I usually introduce it to the lucky loan attendee as I say to you now. Sure, I'd like to be a rock star on the stage of Madison Square Garden, but I'm also happy to be a rock star on the stage of your heart.
This song reminds me of another word I learned about from Charlie. The word thanatos, which means the death drive. We were in bed chatting and she started talking about thanatos and I was all like, wait, what? The death drive seems ridiculous to someone like me, living as I do in the fullness of life's energies, rock and roll and such. My roommate, a genius sculptor named Architectural Camouflage, says he thinks death will be awesome because life is awesome. But I sometimes think that the death drive is what most closely resembles the marketplace's demands on artists to brand ourselves. And I prefer to live in the sex drive with the creative energies.